Because strong disciples know how to pray. Hello? So I want to talk about prayer. But perhaps I'm going to teach you something you've not been taught before. When it comes to prayer. So I want you to turn your Bibles to two places. The first place we're going to go is Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. If you're there in Acts chapter 12, I'm coming there. And I'm going to read... Quite a long portion of scripture in Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 and we're just going to trickle down and down and, and keep reading. I'm going to read a few chapters. Just bear with me one second. Let me just turn this version of the Bible I want there. Oh, now my Bibles won't open for you. Who needs electronic Bibles, eh? Sometimes they don't listen. Acts chapter 12. Okay, there we go. So I'm going to read from verse 1. Acts chapter 12, I'm I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, About that time... King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. So 16 men to one man. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Mark those words. Verse 6, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and, you follow, and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. Then the angel suddenly left. 
Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Verse 13. He knocked at the door in the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone. Peter is standing at the door. You are out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Verse 16. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Amen. Amen. A wonderful story. Sounds like fiction, and yet it is true. And I want to use this story to really give a context to how I want to address the issue of prayer. Now, for those of you that were here at the beginning of the service, I read the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, Don't you know that you together are the temple of the Holy Spirit or the temple of God. And I explained a little bit, I said, there must be an understanding amongst the children of God that when we come together, we become the church. Hang on a second, there's more to that. When we come together, we become the temple of God. We become the dwelling place of God together. Most of the scriptures in the Bible, in English, it says you. You are the temple. But in the Greek text, or even in the Hebrew texts, or the Aramaic texts, the you usually uses a plural. Are you with me? Because in English, if I want to refer to all of you here, I'll just say you. You know? Right? You can use you as a plural to refer to many people, or you can use it to refer to one person. Right? So, when it says you are the temple, we usually like to think it this way. It is just me as an individual. It's true. That there's a truth in that. But there's another truth in 1 Corinthians 3.16, which says... You are the temple. It means all of you. When you come together, you become a place where God dwells. Are you with me? Why am I driving that home? Because that's where I want to go. I want to talk about prayer in the context of corporate prayer. Of praying together as believers. The power of us coming together with a few people to pray. Because I'm aware that most of the times when we talk about stronger disciples and we want to talk about strength in prayer, most of you are beginning to look at yourself and your personal prayer life and it's all a personal thing. And as long as you continue to keep it a personal thing, it becomes a very big battle. I want you to realize discipleship was not designed to walk, to be, to be, 
to be walked into as an individual. It was designed to be lived together collectively. Did you get that? Christianity is not one of those things that God set out so that you may just leave it alone as an individual. It's me in my heart. It is up to me and God. Christianity is something what when God released it, he released it to be a collective effort. A family, if you like. Hello. From the very beginning, Jesus said to the disciples, all of them, go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait, and I'll send you the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. They all went, not each one, to his own house. They understood this. All of them, 120 people, went in one room and began to pray and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You can find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and they continued to meet together. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the other women, and many other disciples, praying daily. Hello? That's in Acts chapter 1, 14. So they all went and they began to pray. They understood, this is not going to work if I just go to my house and that one goes to his house. and that. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. It is God. He can find us wherever we are. But this is not the way it works. You see, the generation of today, if we say, go and wait in hell and the Holy Spirit will come, we'll be like, yeah, he knows my bed. Right? If he is God, he knows my address. And it's true, he knows your address. But God loves to work in family. He loves to work with his people when they come together. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity or in one accord. Fast forward, it says, there the Lord commands a blessing. Where? In the together. Hello? So in the together, he dwells. In the together, on the together, he releases his blessing. There is power in understanding that this starts corporately. And then when we corporately are strong, individually, we are strong. Hello? I know many people have taught many times and we maybe have even said that before. You know, you come on fire, you come on fire, you come on fire. When we come together, we form a big fire. But you know that's not how you create a big fire. Have you ever made a fire with firewood or a bonfire night kind of thing? And you bring the wood together. You don't go, oh, you light up your own, you light your own, you light your own. Then let's come and bring it together. Is that how you start a fire? No, you put the wood together, you start a fire. Now, anybody that wants to borrow some fire from there, now they can. But the stuff has to start corporately. Are you with me? Most of the things that we want to see God start, it's going to start in the house of God. It's going to start in the corporateness. And when I say in the house of God, I mean in the people that learn the, the power of coming together. I want to talk about prayer in that context. So in the story that we read, Acts chapter 12, the church is growing. 
They are preaching. The disciples are preaching. Jesus is gone to be with the Father. But present really through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is upon them. And they are working miracles. Do you remember that? You know, in Acts chapter 3, they, 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 they healed somebody. In Acts chapter 5, you know, they continue to work miracles. So the power of God is in their midst. And they are working miracles. And stuff is happening to such an extent that they get the attention of Herod. Who's Herod? Herod is the leader. He's the political leader at the time. He's really the occupier in the place. Are you with me? And he's the authority. And as every authority would do in those days, when they see another something big beginning to rise, they get threatened. So Herod gets threatened. And he thinks this is going to put us in trouble with Rome. It's going to put us in trouble. And so Herod decides we're going to finish these people off. So we catch the story in a place where he picks one of the apostles. His name is John. James, sorry. The brother of John. And he takes James and he kills him. And he watches. He's a politician. As usual, politicians are always looking at public opinion. All the time. They look around, build that wall. <laughs> and they say, yeah, I'm going to build the wall. Lock her up. I'm going to lock her up. <laughs> and the people start saying, no, we didn't mean it. The politicians are going to change. Hello? Brexit means Brexit. Until the people change. <laughs> are you with me? Politicians are always swayed by public opinion. 90% of the time. They better be, because we vote them in power. That's their job. Their job is to carry out public opinion, right? That's, that's the way democracy is designed. They are not kings. They are public servants. So, so it is okay for politicians to be swayed by public opinion. That's what we want. Hello? Uh, otherwise, you know, I, I know sometimes you, you guys want to, oh, no, 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 we want a politician that hears from God. Trust me, you don't. You want a politician who will do what the people need, what the people say they need. Hello? <laughs> okay. Some of you don't believe me. Uh, but we designed democracy in such a way that the politicians must go according to public opinion. That's what democracy is. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave that subject alone. I come back to this one. Yeah? So Herod is like, they like it that I've killed one of the apostles. Let me go after the rest of the apostles. So he decides I'm going to go after Peter. Who's the kingpin? Peter. The one that won 3,000 on the first day these people started. Peter. The one that was preaching on the steps to the temple and 5,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Peter, I need to go for a bigger fish. So Herod decided I'm going for the bigger fish. And he goes for Peter. Arrests Peter. Puts him in prison. Says they put a guard of four and four and four and four, 16 people guarding one man, a preacher man. 
<laughs> He's not a terrorist. All he does is preach. That's all he does. Preach. You know, this guy, it's even worse. He's a former fisherman. 16 government soldiers. He's killed. So he is in the middle. Then he has a God. Then he has another God. Then he has another God. Then he has another God out there. 16. They arrest him. And 16 are in charge. This is a high priority prisoner. Why? Because this man preaches the word of God. You see, the word of God that we hold in our hands, if I may sidetrack a little bit, is such a powerful weapon that the enemy knows the worth of the word of God. He knows what it's worth. And sometimes it's a pity that we do not understand what believing the word of God is worth. The enemy knows that this man, what he is preaching is too dangerous. I need to get the best soldiers, the best army, not one bodyguard, but 16 of them to make sure he stops preaching. Do you know sometimes your enemy informs you of how important you are? If the devil keeps fighting you, every time you want to pray, you should know your prayer is too powerful. Are you with me? Is that every time you want to pray, it's when you feel lazy, you feel you want to sleep, you feel, you know, and you go, oh, you keep putting, and the devil keeps fighting you every time you want to pray. You should know your prayer is too powerful. If every time you begin to pray for your family, a trouble rises in the family, you should know that the devil is too scared of what you can do if your family begins to believe in Christ. So no wonder he raises up trouble all the time. And you say, oh, I just began to pray for them. And now look what's going on. To discourage you, to stop you from praying. The enemy oftentimes informs you how powerful you are by how much he fights you. So when they put Peter under a guard of 16, 16. You, 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 have you guys been to prison before? I don't mean you got arrested. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but, but, but have you seen how many wardens are in prison? There's not 16 to 1. We can't even afford that. Her Majesty's prisons will never afford that. 16 wardens to one prisoner? Nah. Not even Bin Laden deserves 16 to 1. Did you see that? Peter was given 16 to 1. He's a powerful man of God. Now think about the things you've been fighting in your life. There are people that have come and fought you, fought your marriage, fought your education, tried to fight anything that the devil has been fighting you all this time just because he knows you carry something so powerful, so strong, that if he's, he lets go, and you will save so many people. If he lets go, you will become this confident person that you've never been. If he lets go, you will be the winner of so many souls in the kingdom of God. So he never lets up. It's like on you, it never stops. 
He's always fighting you. If it's not your money, then your children. If it's not your children, then your job. If it's not your job, then your education. If it's not your education, it's just everywhere. And you're fighting and you feel like you've been fighting for a long time. Listen, it's because you carry something powerful. I need to convince some more people here. You are worth so much. If the devil will inform you of anything, let him inform you that you are so worth of so much. He spends so much effort on you. He, he doesn't sleep. <laughs> he, he, he's not sleeping. He's going after you. Even in your dreams, he wants to give you nightmares because he doesn't sleep over you. Because he knows if you begin to happen, God will be glorified. Amen. You will be set free. And so what does he do? He takes Peter, puts him in prison. What else do we learn from this? I'm talking about prayer in a short while. We learn that the, way, the best way the enemy can deal with you is to isolate you. So he takes Peter and he puts him in solitary confinement. Isolates you. Listen. There is power in the corporate. But what the enemy does all the time is to isolate people from the corporate. Are you with me? My wife was talking about sheep last week. And one thing that would happen, you know, if there were a bunch of sheep grazing or whatever it's called. Is it grazing? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, when the sheep are out there and they're grazing on the hillside, and I think if we released a, 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 a predator in there, if we released a proper, uh, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, like we release a lion in there. It will run, and then, have you watched those nature channels? And how these attackers, these animals, how they run, and then begin to isolate one? And and it begins to keep isolating, and then it isolates one, and then it goes after that one. Because even a lion is not foolish to just go into a herd of buffaloes, because they would turn around. Are you with me? So it has to isolate one, and then grab it. This is what the devil is trying to do. Isolated James, killed him. And all his demons were like, yeah, do it again. And so he goes for Peter. Isolate Peter. And planning to kill him. It's very clear in there. Planning now to do it even differently. For this one, he's a big fish. I will do it publicly. We will set up the stake publicly. And then kill him in such a way that we send a message to the rest of them. That we don't want you here. He had a terrible plan for Peter. Do not let the enemy isolate you. Every Christian must be part of the body of Christ. And by that I mean you must be part of church. Hello? But I'm talking about prayer. So in terms of prayer, most of us struggle when we start to talk about a prayer life. Because the first thing the enemy has done is isolate you when it comes to prayer. So you'll only look at prayer as me, myself, and I, and my ability to pray. So, therefore, you only depend on your ability to pray. And if you've got a busy schedule, you won't pray. 
and, and, and sometimes your ability to pray is five minutes. For some of you, it's 20 minutes. And so with prayer, you have condemned yourself to your five minutes of prayer. Not every day, a week. Hello, they did a survey of preachers. I keep talking about this. In 2016, they did a survey of preachers. How many times are most full-time preachers praying? And the survey was very sad that most pastors reported they are praying for five minutes a week. The rest of the minutes, they are, there's a lot of work to do as a pastor. Do you know that? <laughs> there's a lot of work to do. Like church administration. It's a full-time job. <laughs> you know, to take care of stuff, take care of people's money, take care of the, you can do all that and forgot why you really came into ministry. So there you are, you're sat down thinking, My pastor is praying, your pastor is doing five minutes. May God help you. <laughs> if your pastor is doing five minutes, you're probably doing three or two or 30 seconds. Or the one you do before you eat. That's all. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anyone, but I'm here to show you something. Yeah? Because the first lie the devil has said to us is that prayer is a personal issue. It's just between you and God. And as long as he can isolate you like that, then he can mess about with your prayer life. I told you, fire is started when the wood comes together. Somebody never told you this. They told you now you are saved. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should go to church. But they never told you how to depend on the corporate so that you may have fire in your own house. But that's the way it works. Hello? So no wonder you find Christians that think, no, I'm all right. I can do God by myself at my house and it's all right. You limit yourself to yourself. Peter was isolated. But thank God, he was not alone. So what do you see next in that text? Immediately, it begins to say, and, <laughs> I just love this text. It's awesome. You see, this was not said when John, James was killed. I'm not going to imply anything, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? It was not said. This line here was not said when John was killed. Or when John was arrested. This verse 5, it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. It wasn't said when James was arrested. But perhaps that's the difference. Perhaps. This is just me just guessing or conjecturing. Perhaps that's, that's the difference. Because when, when, when Peter gets imprisoned, there is a line there that says, but the church prayed. Devil, you touched a dangerous man. You see, if you become part of the corporate and you catch your fire in the corporate, every time the enemy tries to isolate you, and sometimes it may look like he has successfully isolated you because he has put you in the hospital. But listen, he has just touched a very dangerous person. If Peter did not belong to this group of people, if this church group of people did not know him, he's in trouble for real. He's going to die. Herod is planning a public, public execution. 
Being human, he's probably scared. He's probably praying. He's probably thinking about this thing. Because he knows he's going to be publicly executed. He has seen his friend, James, a few days ago, got executed. But he says, but the church prayed. My God, I just love that part. There is so much power in prayer when it is a corporate activity. When you and me learn to get together to pray, we multiply the power of what the prayer can accomplish. One shall chase a thousand, and two will finish for yourself ten thousand. Hello? Let me show you something, how the new believers lived, how these believers lived. In Acts, stay in Acts, let's go chapter 2 verse 42. I'll show you something, 2 verse 42. 2 verse 42. This is why Peter was so safe. They prayed. 2 verse 42. All the believers, not some, not some. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Did you see it? How many of them? All of them. This is why Peter was saved from prison. When the enemy successfully, physically isolated him, He could not separate him from his bunch. From the corporate prayer. The believers raised their voices and they began to pray. And an angel was dispatched from heaven. And Peter was released from prison. Very directly linked. To make it even more linked, we are told that when he is released miraculously, he thinks he's dreaming, he thinks he's seeing a vision. And, and, and when the angel finally leaves, he wakes up, he comes to his senses, he's out of prison. He has beaten a guard of 16. <laughs> and he's out. And he goes, where do I go? How come Peter knows which house to go to? Because these people knew how to gather together and pray. So he turns up at Mary's house, knocks on the door, and knocks on the gate, and these people, true to what he thought was happening, were praying. Now they don't know he's coming, you know, it's not like they know Peter is coming, so let's get together, let's pretend we were praying for him. No, he actually finds them praying for him. They are still praying. Somehow God has not told them that they have released him. He hasn't told them. So they are still praying. Release him, release And Peter is out. And so he walks there. And he knocks on the door. And the seventh, and she's named Rhoda. Actually, she's so privileged that her name is known in the Bible. You know, the writer says, her name was Rhoda. <laughs> and she came to the door, this young girl, and, 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 and saw Peter. And she could not believe her eyes. Because they were just praying for him. We bind the spirit of death. We are praying that he will be released. We want Peter released back to us. In the name of Jesus. Father do something. 
They are praying and, and they are praying because in their minds he's in prison and yet he knocks on the door. The power of testimony, right? Peter knew that if I don't go and testify and show myself, these people will keep praying. You need people like that. People who pray for you continually. And you know, hey, I better ring those brothers. If I don't ring them, they will not stop praying for me. They will think I'm still in prison. So he turns up, because he could have gone into hiding anywhere, but he turns up and he shows himself to them. And they can't believe it. But they believe it anyway. And he tells them, hey guys, now I've got to go. And he goes. Disbands the prayer meeting himself. What will finish your prayer meeting is not because you got tired. It's because you saw the answer. Amen. Huh? The church to come together and begin to seriously pray as we are praying for the city, as we are praying for the families. We will not stop because we are tired, because they just gave us an extra shift. We will not stop because of stuff like that. We will stop because we see what we've been asking for. Hello? So these guys had a tradition. They had a way of always gathering to eat together, to pray, to have fellowship. To listen to the teaching of the word of God. Together. Always. Amen. Amen. There is something I want to address there. Instead of the enemy isolating you in terms of prayer. And always destroying your prayer life. Borrow this word from Acts chapter 2.42. All believers were devoted. Everybody say devoted. Devoted. I want to teach you this. If your prayer life is going to be strong as a believer. Don't miss that word. Devoted. Devotion. They had a devotion to something. You're always devoted to something. If there's devotion, there is devotion to something, right? They were devoted to their gatherings. Whether it is for hearing the teaching of the apostles, or for breaking bread, or for fellowship, or for prayer, they had a constant devotion. The word devotion means a constant, consistent persistence to something. Consistently persistent. Hello? Or consistently applying yourself to something. Are you with me? It's like when a young man is chasing after a young woman and the devotion the young man will show. Hello? And all the women look down like it has never happened to them. You know? The devotion a young man will show. And, some, and, and, and sometimes you, that's how you advise young women, right? He, he doesn't look too serious. Just leave him alone. Because you know? he's not chasing after you. He doesn't look too serious. Oh no, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> yeah? There's a devotion, yeah? like the devotion of the lion going after a buffalo, going after a sheep, going after an animal. The devotion, there comes a time when it's just looking, and it's just looking, and it's just looking, and then it engages, and you know it has engaged. There's no reverse gear. It's not going to stop unless that thing gets away, but it won't stop. Hello? A consistent persistence. I remember when we just started this church and we said we're going to start this church. 
And, and uh, God spoke to us to, to start meeting together. We started meeting together. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, actually today reminds me a lot of that, you know, because I was there playing the keyboard and, and, and uh, Debbie was uh, in the choir, the usher, also the church member. And we had a nine-month-old baby. So we had every reason not to do it. But the devotion to the Word of God kept us going. Are you with me? Don't tell me it's, 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 it's a light decision to wake up every Sunday in the morning, take a keyboard, put it in your car, even to just shower yourself when you know there's not going to be anyone coming to where you're going. It's not light. There's not going to be anyone coming. And, it, and, and, and don't tell me it's easy to, to, to get up and start preparing a message you're going to preach when there's not going to be anyone coming. Don't tell me it's easy to start praying for that meeting when there's not going to be anyone coming. Hello? And then you bath your baby and then you dress your baby up and, and then you get in the car and, and sometimes you don't even have enough money, not enough fuel in the car and you get in there and the orange light is there but you're still going to go. We had many Sundays like that. And then when you drive, woo, and you arrive, and, and then you open the place up, and then you clean the place up, and then you put the chairs out as if somebody is coming. Are you with me? And, and, then, and, and then you start the service, and, and then you preach, and then you bless the offering, and then, and then you do it again next week, and the following week, uh, for a full year. That is called devotion. Hello? <laughs> it is called devotion. I want, I want you to understand that you've got to be devoted. You've got to decide to be devoted. To, to be devoted is to be constantly persistent. And there's another meaning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish in a short while. There's another meaning. The other meaning is this. You know, to apply yourself in spite of difficulty. Okay? To be devoted. To apply yourself in spite of difficulties. Huh? So usually what happens when people are not fully devoted... Then when he, he, like the example I'm giving you, if at all we hit a financial difficulty, we'll stop. If at all we say, oh no, you know, it's too much. Because we, 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 we were paying for a venue, what I'm talking about. We were paying for it out of our own pocket. <laughs> the Lord had spoken to us and I had, I had, I had a full-time job then and, I, and I had the entire salary we had put it in the church account. Just to, for us to keep paying for the venue. It's devotion. In spite of difficulty. Now, now don't tell me, oh, you had enough money. No. <laughs> no. It's devotion that, that, that makes you get your last penny and give because God said give. It's devotion that makes you get your last 20 pounds and give to a certain need because you're devoted to meeting that need. Are you with me? In spite of difficulty, 
Now, how many people are devoted to prayer or to the gathering? This is what I'm teaching. It's about the gathering. Until the difficulty strikes. As soon as you have one little small argument with Bright, I'm just using it as an example. <laughs> this man never argues with anyone. <laughs> eh? That's it. Your devotion is gone. Or you will be in the prayer meeting, prayer meeting, until as soon as you have an argument at work, you're done. Listen, devotion is about going against every difficulty. Hello? Hello? So if we're going to learn from these believers how to catch fire in prayer is to learn, first of all, this principle, a devotion to Christ, to the body of Christ, to the gathering of believers. Hebrews chapter 10, 25, most of you know it. It says, do not forsake the gathering together of believers as is the manner of some. It's not a new challenge. Even in the past, there were those that said, ah, there's no point in us meeting and listening to Peter. They were there. There's no point in us meeting. Oh, you know, God is omnipresent. He follows me to my house. So, so the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake as others are doing. Hello? Before the early church was devoted to the word of God, they were devoted to the gathering. Before you are devoted to prayer, you must be devoted to the gathering of believers. When you and I become devoted to that level, to the gathering of believers, then our lives will catch fire, like proper fire. Are you with me? Then I, I finish by saying the next few things. So many places in the Bible... In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says when they were gathered in the upper room, there, that's where the Holy Spirit came. Imagine if somebody had left the room. We were listening to Rodney Howard Brown on, on, on Thursday, on Friday, on Thursday, on, when was it? Was it on Thursday? And he was, saying, he was saying, imagine if somebody had gone to the toilet. There was 120 people in the upper room and the fire came on the people that were in the upper room. Not those that had said, oh, I want to go uh, outside a little bit and take care of my business. Hello? Maybe, maybe you're not seeing what I'm talking about. When the fire comes on the altar, the altar is the gathering of many believers. This is what we forget to say to our generation. Our generation does not understand this. They think, oh, therefore I am the altar. Hallelujah. The fire will fall on me. When an altar was made, this is the picture God made to the children of Israel. If you shall make an altar out of stones, I want you to get stones that are not cut by human hands. And when you get those stones, I want you to put them together. The altar represents people coming together. That's where the fire falls. When God comes, 
He comes on a people that value and love one another. That's where the fire falls. Are you with me? So, if a, a Christian who wants to be a strong disciple is not devoted, and bear in mind I've defined, I've defined what devoted means, is not devoted to the gathering of believers or to loving other believers or to the... If the Christian is not devoted to that, they are shortchanging themselves because the fire falls when the people are devoted to one another. Very simple revelation. It's very simple. Now watch what's going to happen to your prayer life and my prayer life. If our prayer life together. You see, as we've been doing prayer hub, I don't know whether you've, you've come into a session and sometimes felt challenged by seeing your friends pray and you go like, wow, better go with this. Hello? That's why we do those sessions. If you've never gone two hours praying in your own house, and trust me, many people haven't. You may look holy and great and all that, but many people have not spent two hours praying before in their house. But if you come in the prayer hub, then because we are together, we stretch one another. We stretch one another. We stretch one another. And we go before God to a level we've never been before. All of us. And if you do the session again and again, you keep increasing your level. Hello? Now tell me, stretching yourself like that every week will not improve your personal prayer life. Fire must be caught in the corporate first. If you say, oh, God has called me to be an evangelist. God has called me to be a pastor. Get yourself in the corporate because that will release the fire. And then out there you will be powerful. You see, the reason believers are not as powerful as they should be is their devotion to the body. The body is Christ. Maybe you should get that revelation very clearly. This is his body. It's him. So you can't be devoted to Christ without being devoted to the body. It doesn't make any sense. Out of your 168 hours in a week, you spend a lot of them devoted to yourself and your issues. The body is Christ. You came to Christ. This is Christ. And if you and I can literally get, begin to get that, we will understand why these people began to sell their homes, began to sell their land, began, and they began, their devotion to the body was their devotion to Christ. But our generation has been taught something very wrong, that you can be devoted to Christ and not to his body. It doesn't make sense. This is why, perhaps in Matthew 24, he says, get, I, I never knew you. But we were out there, we healed many, we, we cast out demons, we did amazing things. And Jesus says, I did not know you. Because you, you were not in the body, man. You got some of my power and you went running around using my name. But you were not in the body. Far from it be you. 
that on that day he says to you, I never knew you. This church might not have a register, but Jesus surely has one. The Bible says God knows those that are his. <laughs> you know, our modern day churches, we, we don't have that registers. And, no, 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 but Jesus has one. So he's interested in the gathering. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might just have me go somewhere I don't want to go. But he's really interested in the gathering. Read the letters to the churches in, 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 in Revelation when he begins to say to them, you know, when you gather together. You know, I know you've done this, you've done... He's really addressing the gathering. He's not addressing an individual. In the letters to the churches, the seven letters, he never addresses one individual. He's writing to always the body. You have not done well. Or you need to come back to your first love. Or you have done well here. He's talking to all of them. Not one person. Because this is what he wants us to understand. Our devotion to the body. Are you with me? Let me finish by saying where I started. When the believers raised their voice for Peter who was in prison, an angel was dispatched. As we begin to learn to devote ourselves to the body of Christ, and the believers begin to raise their voice for you or on your behalf, you will be shocked at the miracles that will happen. These are not days of a superpower one human being does all the miracles. Those days are gone. God has used that generation to show us what we were missing and how much of the power of God we can tap in. I'm not like one of those people that look down and and start insulting people that have risen so prominently in the faith. Uh, uh, Oh, you know, they're doing it wrong. I'm not one of those. I learn from them. Because what what they have shown us, those forerunners that have gone ahead and done amazing things, built ministries beyond human capacity, and they have done amazing things, and indeed they are stars. But what they have done is shown us that is in the church. That's what they've done. They've shown us, you guys can have all this. All of you. Listen. Perhaps your breakthrough or your miracle that is bothering you too much and you're always in personal fasts will only respond when the believers begin to cry with you. In earnest. In earnest. When the believers, if you can trust the believers that God has placed you with, to begin to cry with you in earnest, you'll be shocked at how things will change, at how your life will be transformed, because the believers are crying. It's an old-fashioned kind of message, but we need to understand this. When me, you, you, you get together to pray over your issue, you'll be shocked. Instead of waiting and looking for this prophet that will release breakthrough over you, trust the bunch of believers around you, and you'll be shocked. Are you with me? Just try it. Just trust the believers around you and sit with them and begin to say, Hey guys, can you pray with me? Church, can you raise? And when the church begins to devote itself to prayer for you, you'll be amazed at how things will shift in your life.
And you will be so, so delivered by the power of the Holy Ghost. May God dispatch angels your way. Amen. Awesome. Great stuff. Now rise with me. I want to take you into some time of prayer after having talked about that. Your prayer life is not going to be the same. If by devotion, you plug yourself into the gathering of believers. You see, many of us have been taught to feel really guilty. Because, you know, we know personally at home, eh, it's not happening that well. The prayer is not working for that for some reason. You know, you're going through that season, so for some reason, things are not working that well. And many of us get really feeling guilty to say, Oh, you know, the only time I prayed is when I was in church. Let me flip that for you so you get it. If your fire is running low, run to the prayer meeting. And if the only time you pray is because you are in church, soon, soon, it's going to change. <laughs> it's a simple secret. Run to the prayer meeting. Come as you are. That's what the Bible says. So you run to the prayer meeting. Join in. You find Tua is praying and you start joining in. And you find Kuta is praying and you start joining and you start joining in and you start joining in. Soon you're like, Hashanda, Tasha, Tada. You get in your car or you're going home, you'll be like, hey man, hey, hey I can pray. And you're going to start, you understand? Yeah. You will just add fuel. And the enemy lies and says, no, you, you know, they just need powerful people. You, what are you adding to that prayer meeting? Nothing. You should come on fire. <laughs> yes, you should come on fire, ideally. But even if you have no fire, there is fire here. <laughs> Otherwise, we are not a church. Uh-huh. So I want us to do some things. I know some people who have... I want to finish this session by, by giving you this. Okay? These are prayer requests. Little forms. Okay? Your personal prayers. Please help. Oh, Clementia here. Why should I? Pass them out. Pass them out. Good boy. <laughs> That's why I pay you so much, Clement. <laughs> so, 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 pass them out. So, I want us to get used to this. I want you to look at them. This next part of the service is going to be prayer. But I want you to look at them. Get used to, get used to them. Because we will always have these. Okay? We're going to make them cards. Okay? So this is just kind of beginning sample. But they will have cards out there. Okay? I want you to, to look at that. And, and what we're going to do with those is I want you... See why pastors must have patience, right? (laughs) So those are prayer request forms. What we're going to be using them for is, is, you know, you can put in a prayer request. You write it clearly. You can put your name on or you don't have to put your name on. But one thing you're going to have to do is put a date on. Okay? And you can put your prayer request in. And what we're going to do with that is that we're going to keep them in the prayer hub. So when we come in the prayer hub, part of the session will be people dipping into the prayer basket. This has always been our prayer basket, by the way. We've had it for how many years now? <laughs> Some years, eh? Yeah. 
dip it into the prayer basket. All you have to do so. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Clement. <laughs> thank you. So, so listen. So let. Hey, stop that family meeting. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I know what's going on. Okay. So, so what we're gonna do with these is is we're gonna put them in in there, and when we come in the in the prayer hub as we are praying, we will dip in them and pray over these issues. Okay. So if you put in your prayer request, it means for on Tuesdays the whole day people will be praying for your stuff. Okay. So, are you getting me? Because I want us to begin to understand, unless we begin to raise our voices to God on behalf of one another and get the devotion to one another in prayer, our prayer will not avail as much as it should avail. Huh? So, okay, so for today, I want to, I want, who's, who's brave enough to write a prayer, prayer request on it right now? Write one or two prayer requests and 